I went on this path of really deconstructing everything that I was taught about sex, sexuality, dating, desire, intimacy, gender roles, my body. And in that deconstruction, I was asking questions like, how did I get here? What are all my current beliefs about sex, my body, gender roles? And where did those beliefs come from? What did I learn about sex from the church, from home, from culture, from school, from my peers? And how have those influences shaped what I believe today? Welcome to Let's Thrive the Podcast, a place for holistic storytelling with none of the BS and a whole lot of fun. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and my mission is to interview guests that inspire, educate, and empower you to live your best life. In these stories, you'll see a part of your own journey reflected in theirs and learn to grow from it. And with that said, let's thrive. Welcome back to Let's Thrive the Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and it's a pleasure to have you here. If you're new, welcome, happy to have you, and if you're an OG, welcome back. By now, you should know if you've been listening that I like to take these episodes in 101 different directions because I think that is what true exploration, self-awareness, and 360 wellness stems from. And lately, something that's been top of mind to me, and this is going to sound so random, but I'm trying to keep this intro short, concise, and to the point, something that's been coming up for me personally, and then, you know, obviously I manifested it through this guest reaching out to me, but it's been the topic of sexual health, sexual ethics, sexuality, love, however you want to phrase it. All of that is also part of the equation with true wellness and just being your most authentic self. And for some reason, actually, (laughs) I know the reasons, but we're not going to have quite that therapy talk on here yet. Uh, I personally hold a lot of shame and stigma and just that like hush-hush taboo feeling around the topic of sexual ethics in particular. And it's something that since I feel that way, I've been pushing myself to explore and get uncomfortable with and have the discussions and so I'm starting to do that and I wanted to start to do that with the podcast as well because if I'm feeling this way I know that at least some of you have been as well I assume maybe not (laughs) now I'm working to rewire that narrative right and be comfortable with my own sexual ethics my body other people all that that goes into this. And so that's why I was so happy to have Kat Harris back on the podcast for episode two. She's been on before. And that episode, we delved a bit more into her own you know, past and work and everything. But this episode's focused on her latest project, and that is the release of her first published book, Sexless in the City. Now, not only is Kat a ray of inspiration and wisdom and just good conversation, this book particularly and this chapter of her life where she's really diving into everything you know sexual related i suppose in a sense really resonates with me and i'm sure with many of you i mean the title alone sexless in the city it is a current reality for so so many of us whether you're choosing to out of your own personal preference for covid safety um, maybe it's just you know circumstantial dry spell whatever it is this episode, this conversation will remind you of the 
101 Reasons Why Sex Isn't the End-All, Be-All for Having Great Intimacy, for Experiencing Pleasure, or for Just Being in a Relationship Overall. I think this episode is so expansive and so empowering to just show us everything that is out there and to have a better understanding as well. Now, another part of this episode is that Kat has created this path and you know her own sexual ethics based off of her faith taken into consideration as well. Which, once more, if you've listened before, you may know that I am not religious. I was as a child, but then left the church when I was 13 or so. That being said, I have the deepest respect for all religions and can truly understand where each come from. I haven't, you know, finalized what I truly believe or such. So because of that, I'm open to anything and everything. And that's why I was able to have this conversation, right? Kat brings with it a bit of a faith viewpoint into the conversation. And I bring with it just a personal preference viewpoint. And so this conversation you know, if you are someone that has, you know, your own faith practice, your own religion that you follow and, you know, believe in, this conversation will resonate greatly. And even if you're not someone, if you're someone like me that doesn't, this episode, this conversation will still hit home because we were able to have, I feel, just a neutral conversation on the topic while also touching points on all the inputs from it, right? So whether that's societal shame, religious shame, family shame, you know, personal shame, and all the emotions that go into that. And just like the underlying current of this and what I really wanted to hit home is that, you know, current culture paints sex and sexuality as just such, it's just blown out of proportions, right? And so what Kat and I do in this episode is explore all the ways, all the phenomenal ways to still have intimacy and be close to people and experience pleasure and desire and explore with your partner or anyone while also honoring your own personal ethics. And we go into how you can understand and better create these, you know, just believe this belief system. And I feel like once you have that in place, you don't have to feel that shame or guilt from outside influence because you know inside what you prefer, what you want, and, you know, just what your morals, what your ethics are. And this isn't an episode saying to do this or do that. It's just one to explore a topic that is shrouded in so much weight and stigma or confusion, so much, you know, surrounding this topic. And so I really hope it resonates and helps at least one of you. I know it really helped me, got me thinking about a lot of things, and I share very candidly and openly in this episode, so (laughs) we love that. Uh, Let me know what you thought. We can always have a conversation, continue this on the gram. I'd love to discuss this. Obviously, it's something I'm still not well educated on, not 100% comfortable with. And so that's why I'm pushing myself to do this and have these convos. So please reach out. I would love to discuss. I'll try to get more on the podcast as well if this does resonate. So with that said, you can connect. Let us know your thoughts on Instagram. Kat is on there at The Refined Collective, and I'm at Emily Feichels, all linked below. And if you're interested in checking out her book, you can pre-order it or order your copy now, depending on the date of this, of when you're listening, uh, on her site. It will be linked below, Sexless in the City. I'm so excited to get a copy of it myself and just dive in, always up to explore different viewpoints, avenues, and just expand that awareness, you know? So without further ado, let's begin. 
Well, I guess to start off, um, if you don't mind just giving a bit of an introduction into mm-hmm. who you are, what it is you do, you've been on the podcast before and it was such a phenomenal episode. And today we're talking about something just so amazing, new to the podcast. And so let's start with a bit of an introduction to you, I suppose. Yeah. Well, first, thank you so much for having me on again. It's so good to see your face. And just, I know in in the podcast world, having a repeat guest is is a big deal. You know, a lot of people don't do it a lot. So I just am very grateful for the opportunity to get to connect with you again and to get to connect with your community. So thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I'm grateful for that. Um, And then, gosh, who am I? My name is Kat Harris. I am author of the new book, Sexless in the City. It is all about my journey of growing up in Southern conservative Christian culture and learning a really strict set of rules and do's and don'ts about sex, dating, my body, all of that stuff, and then not really ever questioning it until I moved to New York almost upwards of a decade ago now. And so the book is all about my journey of figuring out what I believe about God and sex and everything in between. And so that is the book. And I also host a weekly podcast called The Refined Collective. I have uh, a blog, The Refined Woman. And through that, my heart is really to equip single women of faith, but also if you're a woman and not a person of faith, if you're in a relationship, just really, what does it look like to walk out in your worth, walk out in wholeness, identify the limiting beliefs and fears in your life, and then shift that narrative and walk in freedom. So I love having honest conversations. I love doing coaching. I love just really, if there's any sort of elephant in the room, that's the thing I'm going to go towards. That's the conversation I want to have. So that's what I really try to foster in my community is let's have the hard conversations and be honest and experience freedom through that. That's one of the many reasons why I love your work as well. And I actually just saw a friend of mine had a t-shirt on yesterday that said uh, something along the lines of, you know, if a conversation feels hard, then it's one worth having. And I just Mm. feel like, you know, that it's you to a T and it's the truth, you know, there's such truth in it as well. And another reason, and just, you know, starting out here being very open from both of our sides, that uh, the other reason I really did want you to come on and just really have this conversation is because, you know, I'm someone that anyone that listens to the show knows, you know, I'm not I'm not religious, but I am open to all religions and I'm open Mm -hmm. to all of these things in life. And what I think is so interesting about this conversation we're going to have is that you have your own experience, right? With sexless in the city. And then I am someone who, although I'm not religious and I don't have those, you know, mindsets per se for my own life, I still have my own aversions, my own fears, my own stigma around sex Mm -hmm. and sexuality, Mm -hmm. just from an entirely different perspective. So that's kind of what will be neat here. And I have friends that are, you know, they're facing the same things from a religious standpoint or through Mm -hmm. their faith. And so I think this will be a really good conversation to sort of bridge the gap for all women, all people who Mm -hmm. are feeling just some sort of way about this topic. And so that's what I really I'm just so excited for us to sort of fuse on here. Um, I am too. And I think you hit on something that's so relatable is that no matter who you are, where you live, where you're growing up, what you believe, what you don't believe, who you are or are not attracted to, you've most likely experienced some sort of shame and some sort of sexual shame, whether it's 
sexual shame over being too promiscuous or too prude or being in the middle and having not enough experiences or a little too much experiences. I feel as though no matter, especially women, no matter what you have or haven't done, what has or hasn't happened to you in the bedroom, I've just noticed that every woman I've talked to has dealt with some sort of sexual shame. And I'm, I'm just calling BS on the whole thing. I'm just really tired of there being so much shame. Cause I think shame, just shame isolates us. It keeps us small and hidden and stuck. And I just really believe that we were created for an abundant life. And shame is like the anti to that. A hundred percent. It's so very true. Like we've all faced shame in one way or another. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Like, why do you think there is so much shame, fear, stigma around sex and sexuality overall as like a broad topic? Yeah. Well, I think a few things. I think one is control. Control largely of, I think women have suffered most from the stigmas around sex and sexuality. You can watch shows like Bridgerton and see that even a couple hundred years ago, women were required to be pure sexually in a way that men weren't. Well, we fast forward a couple hundred years later and women still are, we're punished if we're prude because then we're inexperienced, but then we're punished if we're sexual because that's we're sluts or we're hoes or we're whores, but a guy does that and he's a player. He's got game. He just has charisma and all the girls want to be with him. And so I think that there's a massive gap and discrepancy between how we view men and women and their sexuality. It seems as though whether it's in Bridgerton times or today, men are expected and entitled and anticipated to be more sexual than women. And we say things like, well, boys will be boys. So women cover up your body. So I think that there's an, I think, And I I don't want to sound like a bitter woman. I love guys. I love men. I'm attracted to them. I think men are up to incredible things. I want to marry a man one day. (laughs) However, we, we have and do live in a patriarchal society where women have been kept out of the highest level of decision-making rooms for hundreds and hundreds of years. And I think from a place of control to control women, there has been a stigma around sex and sexuality. Now, I don't want to just be one-sided and say men never experience sexual shame because I don't think that's true. I, I really don't think that's true. But I do think a huge part of sexual shame comes down to control. I also think that it comes down to depending on where you live. So I grew up in the South and there was, whether you were a religious person or not, there's a culture of being appropriate. So everything's image driven, putting your best foot forward, and you might be having all the sex in the world that you want with your boyfriend, but you're not talking about it with your parents because it's inappropriate. You're not necessarily moving in with that person if if even if you guys are basically living together because it's frowned upon inside religious circles and I think outside religious circles in my experience in the South. Now, I think it's less like that now, but I think 
in culture, we just have these really mixed messages. The, from the time that girls are young, we're hypersexualized. Um, Peggy Orenstein in her book, Girls and Sex, says that you know, men will probably really never understand what it's like to be hypersexualized in a way that women are, because from the time we're toddlers, we're being marketed Disney princesses that have eyes bigger than their waists and (laughs) waists that are barely there. And then only little girls are marketed itty bitty booty shorts and polka dot bikinis when they're toddlers. And men aren't ever. And so I think women are hypersexualized from the time we're young, but then we're shamed for being sexual. Um, and so I think there's, there's a lot of confusion in that and I want that to change, but I think there's just so, so much of that has been going on for so long. I watched this, advertisement last night by, I don't know her name, Cynthia, Cynthia Nixon. Is that she played Miranda in sex in the city has this two minute video out. And it's, it's called, they said, they, they told you to be a lady. They said, be a lady, be a lady. They said, and it's all these juxtapositions of, uh, you're too prude. You're not prude enough. You're too sexual. You're not sexual enough. Be skinny, be a zero, be a double zero, be nothing. Guys don't like women who are too skinny. So it's all these mixed messages. And overall, I think it's rooted in control, which I think underneath all control, even if we're thinking, why do I want to control my diet? Why do I want to control my calendar typically under control is fear. So I think really underneath all of it, the stigma around sex and sexuality is control and fear, whether it's don't be sexual or you're too sexual or be appropriate, or this is dirty. This is gross. We don't talk about this. I think it's all rooted in fear. Oh, I so, so agree. And just that hits home, you know, for so many, so many things. Right. And we can all relate to that in the sense of, yeah, what have we tried to control in our own life Mm -hmm. and where does that stem from? And now apply that to this larger system at play, because as you said, it's not all men per se, but it is this system that educates us and grooms us to believe this way, you know, for both sides of the spectrum. And, um, you know, just kind of something that popped up in my mind as you were talking about how, you know, environment can play a part and such. I too grew up in a small town where it was that similar vibe. And there was this one moment just so close to my heart where, you know, a good friend of mine was in a relationship with a guy and some rumors started flying about around like sexual acts they had done. Right. Mm -hmm. And what was so astounding to me throughout it all and looking back now is how she got, she was put through hell. Like her life was turned upside down. She had people that had no right knowing this stuff, knowing and saying things to her and asking her these insane questions. And it broke my heart then. And it still breaks my heart now to think of what she went through. Mm -hmm. And yet throughout it all, the guy got none of it. Mm -hmm. He was actually praised, right? The guys Mm -hmm. were joking with him like, oh, you did that. You did that, whatever it was. And it was sickening to see. And it just does go to show like this overarching system where it's like, that is how it happens, right? Like instances like that, where 
the, the fear and the shame and the stigma is just being bred and Mm -hmm. it's just growing and evolving alongside the woman. And there's not much she can do about it. And then, you know, there's the guy in the part of it and it doesn't always happen that way, but like, man, like when those things happen, it just goes to show what you said there, right? Like that, the system, the fear, the control of it all. I mean, it's just, it's heartbreaking in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I was actually just talking with my sister right before we went live. Cause we had, I was like, you have to watch this video. And we were both kind of saying, you know, we have guy friends that aren't like that and who don't understand. Well, we're not saying that stuff. And I read in a book, I believe it's the book called divine sex by Oh my gosh, I'm foggy today, Jonathan Grant. And in it, he's talking, he basically has this phrase where he says, it's so visible that it becomes invisible. But once you see it, you can't unsee it. So whether we're talking about the oppression of women, whether we're talking about racism, the oppression of women is so visible in our culture that it has become invisible. I mean, there's a reason why the Me Too movement happened but we can look at hundreds and hundreds of years and decades upon decades of women who have been saying, hello, something's happening. And women who tell the truth about sexual assaults are often not believed. And in fact, um, there's a statistic that says only 2% of women who report sexual assault are found out to be not telling the truth. So that means 90, 98% of women who come forth are telling the truth. And then you see stories like the free Britney documentary. Did you watch that? I haven't. It's on my list though. I think hopefully this weekend. (laughs) It's, it's super interesting. But one of the things that happened is when she was dating Justin Timberlake, which I feel like Sean Mendes and Camila Cabello are the Britney and Justin of today. <laughs> I just love Sean and Camila. And growing up, it was Justin and Britney. Like they were the couple. They were the American couple. And then rumors are that she cheated on Justin with a choreographer. They broke up. And Justin makes this video alluding to her cheating on him. And and I remember in the time feeling feeling like shame on Britney. Britney shouldn't have done that. And then watching this documentary, she was so terrorized and demonized by the paparazzi in that, in that experience, harassed over and over and over again. And then it's cutting to interviews of Justin Timberlake in that time which breaks my heart. Cause I love Justin Timberlake. <laughs> I've been like in love with Justin Timberlake. Since I was little, well, eighth grade, but he is making fun of how he had sex with her. And he was like outing their sex life. And it was like, Oh, good job, bro. You did it. You got it. And I was like, this is it. This is it. Why do we feel shame about our sexuality? Because we're punished for it. Especially as women we're punished for it in a way that men aren't. And I'll go another step forward. You are punished if you do not identify as heterosexual. Mm-hmm. So the big crime is if you're a woman or if you do not identify as heterosexual. And then the shame enters in, um, which is so heartbreaking. Yeah. And it, it's, I think it's a huge, one of the biggest reasons why I wrote my book is I just felt I'm so tired of the shame. I'm so tired of being told externally who I am, who I can and can't be by society, by the church, 
by external forces. I want to be walking out in my life and my sexuality and my desire and my relationships with freedom because shame literally is like a bowling ball around your ankle. And I just got to a point where I was tired of it. Yeah, no. And I mean, it even goes to say, like, look at how we react and respond in life when we are being weighed down by shame. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it changes it's not only something you experience, but it, it impacts the decisions you make moving forward and the beliefs you form about yourself. And mm-hmm. it because it can become something that's, yes, weighing you down in the present, but it's also hindering your future. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. pulling you back at the same moment as it's holding you down. And I'm just curious to hear, you know, you mentioned before you grew up in that sort of environment situation when you moved to the city like how did you start to form your own sort of ethics and just sort of beliefs around sexuality fusing mm-hmm. you know what you have with the church with your own personal experience your own personal beliefs how did you sort of come to your own conclusion when there's so much noise coming at us yeah. from so many different areas in life absolutely well i think a couple things is first we all have to get to a place in our own lives where we grow so discontented with the way things are that you finally hit a breaking point and you say, no more, I have to go another way. When people are abusing substances or dealing with addiction, it's people refer that as to rock bottom. Like what is your experience that finally you say, I don't care what I have to do. I can't keep moving forward the way I currently am. And I think transformation begins around that moment. And one of my pastors calls it the crystallization of discontent. So what, what is that moment, that crystallization of discontent where you become so internally motivated to change that nothing's going to stop that journey. And really only true transformation can happen when we are internally motivated. If you want to get a six pack, Emily, you'll make that happen. If I want you to get a six pack and you don't, it doesn't matter. I can't force you to the gym enough. You know, it only change can only happen when it's internally motivated. So for me, I got to a place in my own life where I my sexual ethic wasn't working for me any longer and what my sexual ethic was up until that point. And so this was from the time I was young until I think I was about 28 years old. I had made a decision to abstain from sex until marriage because I was taught that's God's best. And I loved God. I love God. And if that is what was God's best, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to trust the leaders in my life that they were teaching me truthfully. And, and so that is what I believed. And so in that I didn't do things like sleepovers with guys, or, um, I was pretty conservative with how I interact with, with dating and all that to be said, I didn't really ever struggle not having sex because I didn't really date a lot. So it wasn't really on the table for me very often. And I think I went almost seven years without even going on a date in from like college to post-college. And it was when I moved to New York, I started dating and I started dating casually and I never dated casually before in my whole life. 
I thought that was sinful. You had to be dating for marriage. And if you didn't know by the first or second date, if he was the quote unquote one, then you should not be wasting your time. So I casually dated for the first time in my life. I dated more in one year than I had in an entire decade. I fell in love. I got heartbroken and I had a relationship with a man that I was head over heels for. And I realized very quickly on that it is much harder not to have sex when you're actually dating and when you're feeling that sexual chemistry. And so I found myself really blazing past many of my physical boundaries in dating aside from sex in this dating relationship. And for the first time in my life, I didn't feel guilty. It felt awesome. I felt connected to my body. I felt like a woman. It just felt so freeing. And that was incredible, but it also felt really confusing because I was like, oh, I thought sleepovers were simple. Oh, I thought I would never have oral sex until I was married. And here I am having these experiences and it felt really beautiful. But I did still feel conflicted about sex. So we ended up breaking up largely because I was sort of at an impasse. I didn't know what I believed anymore. And he was like, listen, like it's a deal breaker for me not to have sex in relationships. So we're going to part ways. So we parted ways. And it was in that breakup where I had my crystallization of discontent moment of, I have no idea why I have not been having sex and all this shame. I thought I would feel from doing all these things. I don't feel that. And I kind of got to this point where I realized the only reason why I'm not having sex is because the Bible told me so. And I actually don't even know if the Bible told me so I couldn't at that point tell you what the Bible actually says. And at this point I thought, I don't even care. I don't even know if I care what it has to say. And so I ended up going on a journey that I thought would take an hour or two. And I was like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look up every single verse in the Bible that talks about sex. And I'm going to see what the Bible has to say about sex. And then I'm going to decide if I care what it has to say. And I went on this path of really deconstructing everything that I was taught about sex, sexuality, dating, desire, intimacy, gender roles, my body. And in that deconstruction, I was asking questions like, how did I get here? What are all my current beliefs about sex, my body, gender roles? And where did those beliefs come from? What did I learn about sex from the church, from home, from culture, from school, from my peers? And how have those influences shaped what I believe today? And then from there, it was now, are those beliefs rooted in fear or freedom? Because I believe that any action or belief or narrative that's rooted in fear is not one that is truthful because I think fear produces shame and and condemnation and isolation and all that stuff. And I just, I felt more and more convinced that this fear, like living from a place of fear is not the life that God has for me. So once I really distinguished, okay, what is rooted in fear? Then from there, I worked on rebuilding 
okay, so how do I, now I kind of know, all right, so I was taught not to have sex, but it was pretty shame-based. But then I, I do see in the Bible that it does say to abstain from sexual activity outside of marriage. So what sort of freedom-filled narrative can I participate with? So from there, it was a lot of research. I read, I'm still reading books on the topic seven years later. I read scientific research books. I read religious books on sex. I read books on sex from anthropologists, philosophers, Jewish feminists. And I just was, it was like I was getting my PhD and writing a dissertation or something. I just was constantly researching, constantly asking people, what's been your experience with sex? Do you feel shame about that? And so just having in-person real life conversations and coming to a place where for me, I realized if I want to have a healthy sexual ethic, it's going to require work. So I can't just say, oh, well, that person told me to do that. So I'm not going to do that. That's being externally motivated through obligation. And I think we like to take other people's sound bites and internalize them as our own gospel truth, as opposed to really pausing and do sometimes the painful work of self-examination and examining what is it that I believe. So for me, it was like, I picked up this diamond of sex and gender roles. And I spent several years trying to look at it from every angle. And from there, I was able to develop a healthy sexual ethic. And so to kind of wrap that up, how did I begin to better understand my sexual ethic? First, I deconstructed. How did I get here? What do I believe and why? And what are those beliefs rooted in? Fear or freedom? Now, after I've identified all of those things, how can I move forward in freedom? So let's let's go back to my source of truth, which as a person of faith, a lot of my truth does come from the Bible. So let's look at what the Bible says. What where else can we have find truth? Well, our own personal experiences. What have I learned about my body and desire and sex from my personal experiences? What does science say? What does research say? What do people in my life that I respect, what does wisdom say? And then I've done all this gathering. Now, how do I want to move forward? I think we all want to get to the practical. So are you going to have sex or not? Are you going to do blowjobs or not? Well, no. The first thing we have to do is get to a place where we're connected with our own heart and experience free from shame. So those first two phases of deconstructing and then rebuilding are really what kind of takes some time to dig through and walk through. But I think they're important parts of the story. Oh my gosh. Yes. I just, to have you describe it that way is just, I mean, amazing because I think a, it's phenomenal for this topic, but then also just, I was thinking of so many other areas of life, right? Where that self-examination, building that self-awareness is so crucial and to have it be in such a format of like, let's deconstruct, let's really analyze, and then let's build up. That's just such a helpful, almost template toolkit that people can use. And I, as you said, just drawing from all those different resources in life, I think so often, you know, it is easy to get caught up in outsourcing all of our issues, right? Like this is wrong with our health or our money or school, whatever it is. And we, it's like, we look for others for the answers. And what I love about this format, like this buildup is that 
it's a, it's a fusion of both. You're doing the deconstructing, you're doing the buildup on your own while also drawing from those outside sources. And then finally formulating, like you said, your own ethic, your own moral views, your own beliefs about it all. And that's just so empowering. And, you know, even when you said there about like the practicality of like, okay, well, are you going to have sex or not? Are you going to have the blow, give the blowjobs or not? Like even that bit right there, like, right. The, the all or nothing mentality of it too. There's no space for the gray in between when in reality that can be you. Like maybe you are kind of in between areas for a while Mm -hmm. and that's so okay. And um, that actually leads me to something else I wanted to talk to you about, which is just the idea of the difference between sex and intimacy, right? In a relationship. So say you do choose that I'm going to opt out of sex for now. It's just, it's not for me. This, you know, you don't have to explain yourself. It just is. Like, could you talk a bit there about that difference between intimacy and sex and, you know, just fundamentally how you can still have these experiences. You can still have these relationships um, regardless of what your beliefs become on the topic. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question. And I'm so glad you, that you asked it because I think one of the reasons why there's so much shame when it comes to a conversation about sex and sexuality is because we have made a multifaceted, three-dimensional, robust experience into basically a stick figure on a piece of paper. So we have said largely as a culture that sexuality is manifested through sex. That's like, that's the only option to express it. So why are we so obsessed with sex? Because we've been taught, we've been indoctrinated that the way you connect to your sexuality is through orgasm and sex. And that's a way, that's a way to connect with your sexuality, but there's so much more. It almost reminds me of the wizard of Oz and Dorothy being in black and white. And then she goes to Oz and there's all these colors. I believe that first uh, I have to define sexuality. So I believe that sexuality, and this comes from uh, a woman, Marva Dawn. I believe that sexuality is the human desire that all humans have to connect outside of ourselves with lowercase others. So with other people, it's that thing that gets me from being a hoarder at my house alone all the time and says, Oh, I need human interaction. I need to be with other people. That's what sexuality is. It's that, that thing that we all have that wants to be in relationship with others. So that includes romantic relationships, but really sexuality is so much more layered than that. We are connecting to our sexuality right now because we are creating something new together. So what does sex do? Sex makes babies. And so what is sex, but this ultimate form of collaboration and creativity with another person where we make something new. So there are a thousand and one ways to connect with our sexuality. I believe that if sexuality were a book, that sex would be one chapter. But what are other sexual experiences you can have if you're opting out of sex? Well, you can hold hands, you can give massages, you can kiss, you, there's oral sex, there's self-pleasure, 
there's so many other sexual experiences that you can have and you get to decide what do I feel comfortable with? What do I want? And then how can I communicate that with the person that I'm wanting to experience those things with? Because I think only when we really give ourselves time to pause and think, what is it that I want? And how can I communicate that is when we're able to give informed and enthusiastic consent. And I think informed and enthusiastic consent is so important in any sexual encounter. And so there's so many ways. I mean, if sex, like, let's just think about it. Okay. First of all, the average person has sex 52 times a year. So that's once a week, right? So sex is one time a week. And all my friends that have sex, when I say, okay, let's just say sex takes an hour and they laugh, they're like 10 minutes, 10 minutes on a good day, maybe 30 minutes, but sex itself, the act, it doesn't last very long. It can, but Mm -hmm. so much of the sexual experience and having a robust sex life is foreplay is giving yourself permission to explore your body, their body together, individually feeling, Oh, here's what feels good. You can even just rubbing each other's feet might be something that is a a way to connect. Or one thing I love doing is uninterrupted eye contact. You talk about intimacy. (laughs) You, I dare you to put on a Seeger Rose song or Garth Stevenson's Southern Sea and sit across from a person and do uninterrupted eye contact for 10 minutes. I dare you to do it and not laugh and squirm, but really sit there, inhale, exhale with that person. That is one of the most intimate acts I have ever done with another person. And it builds this beautiful intimacy and trust and vulnerability. And so I think there's so many ways to develop intimacy. I think it's also more layered than just physical intimacy. What does emotional intimacy look like and feel like? How how can I be known by this person? Because if we zoom out of what are we looking for when we, when we desire sex, we, we desire orgasm, right? So we want pleasure, but sex isn't just about orgasm. I think often we want to feel known. We want to feel seen. We want to feel love. We want to give love. We want to give pleasure. We want to you know, be naked and unashamed, like the Hebrew writers say, and to be naked and unashamed means that I feel safe in relationship with this other person. That I feel secure, that I feel like I am seen holistically and accepted. And I think that's what all humans are looking for all the time. Love, acceptance, dignity, to see and be seen, to know and be known. And so what are things that you can do to foster safety in your relationship? So much more than just sex, right? It's let's talk about our hearts. Let's talk about our relationship. Let's talk about what we want for the future. Let's talk about our past. Let's talk about fun. Let's have a, let's go dancing. There's just 101 ways to cultivate intimacy outside of one physical act. What are your thoughts about that? 
Oh, I'm just nodding along the entire time because it's so, so true. And something I just resonate so deeply with where, you know, earlier this year I was in the beginning of a relationship with a guy. And what was so great about it was that we did have this great physical connection and we never had sex, but we would spend these nights together and literally just all night long have that like physical intimacy, right? Like you said, like whether it was a massage or just kissing or just like touching, feeling, being with each other. And Mm -hmm. it was so, it was like all those things you just described there, right? It was like all Mm -hmm. the things that I was actually craving. Mm -hmm. I'm not one to just, you know, I, I think for me, there's a big difference in my mind between like a relationship and just you know, just kind of being in it for the sex, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with either. But for me, like I tend to lean towards that more, like I crave the physical, mental and emotional intimacy of being close with someone, Mm -hmm. of feeling like I'm actually being seen, of feeling that connection, that deep rooted, just like sense of safety overall. And, you know, that differs for everyone, but I think it is just good and a reminder and it was funny because actually, as I was, you know, in this relationship with the guy, I would post updates on my like close friends stories because there were just like a couple funny things that happened. And so many of my friends, you know, just reached out and kind of shared similar experiences or feelings about, you know, sex or how, you know, long they waited to have it mm-hmm. or, you know, how they felt having it for the first time with their partner, etc. And it was just such a friendly reminder that so often these experiences, whether good or bad, so many others go through them too. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something I really, you know, wanted to drive home. And I think we are with this conversation and um, just that overall connection, right. Whether you're connecting with someone through intimacy, through sex, through a relationship, or you're connecting with someone on those topics. Mm-hmm. Um, like there is a deep rooted desire in us all for some yeah. sort of connection um, yeah. for co-creation, for mm-hmm. collaboration, and I think that that's just such a beautiful way, as you said, to describe, define sexuality and um, really expand upon it. Yeah. Yeah. It just, I think it takes pausing and being curious. Mm-hmm. Why do I think that the only way that we can experience intimacy is through sex? Why are we put so much pressure on this one act? And I was even, I was listening to Emily Morris's podcast today called love sex with emily yes. oh my gosh i love it and the whole episode was it was a master class to masturbation and this woman wrote in and she was 55 years old and had never touched herself and was like your show has inspired me i want to explore my body but i don't even know where to start and i loved how emily described it she said you know first release your attachment to orgasm. You can experience pleasure and self-pleasure and even intimacy and self-love without orgasm. So what is, what would it be for you just to take a nice bath and light candles and then put on clothes or a robe that is silky or something that feels good on your skin? And then what would it be to explore your body and release the attachment to, I need to have an orgasm or because if I don't have an orgasm, then I'm not doing it right. (laughs) You know, then she said, just be with your body and see what that's like. And I thought, what a great, what great advice, because 
what if we would also do that in our sexual experiences and our sexual encounters with other people as well? That just because no one's coming, (laughs) that doesn't mean it's not a positive sexual experience. Just because there is no one inside of you doesn't mean you, you don't have a robust sexual life. One of the things that Peggy Orenstein talks about, she like became my pastor. <laughs> like she's this New York Times journalist that wrote these incredible books, Girls and Sex and Boys and Sex. But one thing she said that was really eye-opening to me is she said, I want people to view sex more as a pool of experiences as opposed to a vertical race, climbing a vertical ladder to get to one specific place. And in that, she said, who is the more sexually experienced person? The girl in college that goes out and gets drunk and has like a hit it, quit it moment with the guy from the frat house that let's be real. She's probably not getting an orgasm. It it just was what it was. And I have no judgment if that's your story or whoever's story, but she said, who has the better sexual experience, that person or the person who perhaps they didn't have sex, but they kissed for two hours and they went slow and they felt each other's bodies. And yeah, maybe there was no actual intercourse, but they were looking at each other. They were communicating. She felt safe to communicate what she wanted and he felt safe to do the same. And that was super eye-opening for me because I think as a person who has practiced abstinence for so long, I have felt so many times like a sexual infant. And even though now I am very proud of my decision for a lot of time, it held a lot of shame. So I just felt like I don't know anything. And then I read that and I was like, oh, I've had like tons of all night long, like awesome experiences <laughs> where we've kissed and touched and felt and cuddled and looked in each other's eyes. And I'm like, okay, like, wow. Okay. That's a, those are beautiful experiences. And just because I'm not doing one specific thing doesn't mean that I can't or don't have beautiful and fulfilling sexual experiences in my dating life. Right. I mean, that shame that you put there, I resonate once more with that so, so deeply where, you know, from society and the media and just the culture we live in, we're given this idea that, yeah, it's like sex means one thing and one thing only. And it is that the act of orgasm and someone, you know, inside of you and all of that. But it's like, when we start to understand that, yeah, like it is this pool of experience, as you put it, there's so many different avenues to explore. And there's so many different ways you can be educated and experienced in it. Like, well, then, you know, it's kind of funny. It flips things on its on its head because suddenly it's not just, yeah, the, the girl that's been sleeping with everybody and anybody within the past week. Maybe it's someone that's been exploring these different areas. And that's not to say that one's better or worse, right. but it's, it's just another, a whole other viewpoint to it, a whole other perspective. And one that I personally resonate with much more. And I think, you know, there's probably many out there that do, and, um, you know, just serves as a reminder to those that do like that shame, it, you know, it, it doesn't have to be there. It doesn't have to like hold you back. Um, oh, oh my gosh. I just Absolutely. love all of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is so good. And these conversations are so important and I'm so glad that we're having this. I'm so glad that we're chatting and, 
I hope what it does is I hope it brings up more questions for people. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Interesting. Maybe I haven't thought about it this way before. Maybe you're listening to this and you don't agree with me. Great. What, what does it make you think of what resonates? What doesn't resonate? What do you believe and why do you believe it? Be willing to dig into your own story and uncover your experience and what that's meant to you. And is, is something working and something's not working? What do you want to shift? So I think it's all about approaching this with curiosity and from a place of, I want to walk forward in sexual integrity. I want to walk forward owning what I want. And so much of this, so much of this work is me saying, I want to take responsibility for what I want. And then I, I, because I'm the only person who's in charge of me. Like, it's not your job to tell me what to do. It's not like a church's job to tell me what to do. It's my job. It's not culture's job to tell me that I should have shame or not have shame. It is my job to take ownership for how I'm showing up in the world and to walk forward in freedom. No one else is going to do that work for me, but me. No, a hundred percent. And that right there, like how empowering is that to be taking the action and to be taking Mm -hmm. everything into your own hands and taking your own steps forward um, rather than feeling tugged along or pushed along or prodded along. Um, So right there, that self-empowerment piece that comes into it. And, you know, if people are curious to learn more, they want to question something you said here, uh, where can they connect, learn more? Uh, I believe you said Sexless in the City comes out in April. So let's share a bit about that because I, I just, I know I'm personally going through this phase in life where like you, it's like, I'm just so suddenly fascinated by this all. Mm-hmm. And I really want to, I think I'm in the process of deconstructing my mm-hmm. beliefs, my experiences and building up. And I didn't realize it until you put a sort of framed it that way in this conversation. So a, thank you yeah. for that. And then B where can others like myself continue to learn, experience more of your work, your conversations, and yeah, just get all the gold from it. Yeah. Well, you can buy my book anywhere, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Audible, Kindle, Books a Million everywhere. And I have a lot more information about it at sexlessinthecitybook.com. So super easy to remember. And then my podcast where I talk about a lot of this stuff on a weekly basis is the refined collective podcast and my social media handles and my website is the refined woman. So the refined woman, the refined collective and sexless in this. And there she goes. (laughs) Perfect finale. I love it. No, I just have to say also that title is phenomenal. Like I, I mean, it's just like iconic. I love it so much about it. So um, overall, just so, so excited to see it out in the world and um, hear what people think on it. So thank you so much. I'm so grateful and I'm so excited to get it out there. Yeah.